And welcome to Zoom with Zarni again. Uh, my name is Dustin Zarni. And uh, today uh, is Thursday, June 18th, that we are recording this uh, little uh, get together again. And uh, we'll probably be posting it on our Spotify channel later today and on our Facebook uh, channels uh, later uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, this is a collaboration with the United Democrats of Onondaga County. And this is uh, my attempt to just get a little news out there about voting and uh, good government and other things. Uh, you know, around this time, I'm going to all kinds of different, usually going to all kinds of different community meetings, talking about voting rights, talking about how people can register to vote. But in the age of uh, COVID, it's almost impossible to do that kind of stuff. So um, this is my attempt at trying to uh, get a little bit more, uh, you know, education out there, a little bit more uh, interaction with the public and a little bit more, and hopefully a little bit more, uh, um, you know, uh, knowledge about the unique voting situations here in New York State. Uh, and uh, so if you, uh, Housekeeping notes, I'm just going to remind everybody that uh, early voting is underway and will go until Sunday all across New York State. Um, check your local county board of elections for uh, your for their uh, uh, times, but here in Onondaga County, I'm sharing our uh, webpage right now. You can go to onvote.net and right under the early voting uh, uh, section, we have our um, early voting all of our different sites, uh, pretty well spaced out throughout the county. In fact, we've had really nice participation uh, in, in all of our different uh, different uh, areas this, this time around, pretty evenly spread. And we have early voting from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Friday and from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. And of course, absentee voting is continuing and the deadline to have applied for absentee voting was on uh, the 16th. However, in Onondaga County, we have a policy that if we receive your application, we will uh, process your ballot and send it out to you. You have until June 23rd to uh, uh, get that ballot back. If you have not applied, your best bet is to call us at 315-435-VOTE, uh, or you can uh, go to our website, download a form and email it over to us uh, at absentee at ongov.net. Uh, and those are your best bets to get that in by the latest we're gonna be sending out ballots is Saturday. So if you haven't uh, received a ballot or uh, and you've applied or you haven't even applied, it's best to call us or email us right away so we can try to rectify that as soon as possible. And of course, early voting and election day voting is still available for uh, uh, absent, if you applied for absentee, if you uh, have already voted absentee but decided that you want to vote in person, that is still allowed in New York State. Uh, we will uh, go ahead and uh, pull your absentee once you vote, we will, and then we will not uh, count that when we canvass the absentees. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the canvassing of absentees and how different election night is going to be across all of New York State but in Onondaga County as well. Um, we have now over 20,000 absentee ballots received back uh, in, in Onondaga County. Uh, and we had 32,000 
uh, absentees applied for. So uh, we expect even more to come back over the next week or so uh, as those absentees are, are mailed back to us. Well, what does that mean? First thing it means is this incredible participation in this uh, congressional primary. We have had uh, more votes cast by absentee alone than were cast in the entire 2008 congressional primary uh, that was uh, just two years ago. Uh, that was only 19,000 votes, and now we've already had 20,500 votes by absentee, another 800 or so votes as of this moment by uh, early voting. And uh, so we are expecting a record turnout for a congressional primary. And of course, the presidential primary is rolled up in there, so it's a little bit of an asterisk. Everything with this election is a little bit of an asterisk because it's our first combined presidential and congressional. It's happening in June. We have these expanded absentees, which is a great thing. And it's driving up a lot of turnout, which is also a good thing. Uh, but, um, you know, so we're not necessarily comparing apples to apples. But when you're comparing raw vote count to have this many absentees in, what it, while it also means good turnout and good uh, participation in government, it does also mean that we're going to have delayed results. On election night in Onondaga County and throughout the state, we will report your election day results. We'll report your uh, election uh, uh, and your early voting results. And in fact, uh, I'll share my screen again. Uh, here in uh, Onondaga County, you can find the results right at onvote.net. We have our results caster here. It's a, it's a neat little uh, results caster that uh, will let you know what's going on. Uh, in our, uh, you know, in our county, you can go to onvote.net, and it has a nice little uh, maps available. In fact, we already, we still have our general election up from last year, uh, and uh, you can kind of see that it shows us not only the vote totals, but uh, we have this nice, neat little uh, map toggle here that you can show you. Uh, down to the precinct level, how uh, how a, how a race did, uh, you know. Here was the county exec race uh, here in Onondaga County uh, last year, and as you can see, you know, the Democrat got blue and the Republican got red, um, and you know, and you can even click on each election district and zoom to it and see what the vote totals are. Now, this is of course only for election night and early voting. Uh, it will not have our absentees, and absentees will not be counted until uh, July 2nd uh, is the first time that we're going to be actually opening absentees. And why is that? Well, uh, we have until June 30th to receive absentees, even though they have to be postmarked the 23rd. They actually have uh, until June 30th to be received in our office. And then after that, on July 1st, we're doing a statewide uh, re-canvas. Uh, that is our, our cross check. You know, we have to give State Board of Elections all of our absentees that we received in. They cross it against uh, the rest of the state to make sure that nobody double voted, going two different absentees in two different counties, or voting in uh, as an affidavit in one county, but an absentee in another. So we can make sure that we don't double count those votes. Then on July 2nd, we're bringing in the campaigns and we're going to start opening up these ballots again with. 20,000 absentees, at least, maybe it's close to 30,000, we're probably going to have more uh, election day, or I'm sorry, absentee votes than election day, and maybe double uh, uh, absentee votes than we do election day. That's the first time that's ever happened. We usually have 
the last congressional primary, we had 1,600 absentees, and now we're over 20,000. So uh, we won't know the winners of these local races until July, probably July 7th or 8th, uh, is when we'll get done counting and certifying and, and trying to get that done. That's our plan here in Onondaga County and other parts of the state may take even longer, especially if there's more absentees. So that's the housekeeping that I have. Uh, and make sure, go to onvote.net or give us a call, 315-435-VOTE to uh, get helped out. And I wanna bring in our guest here. Uh, I have, I'm honored to have uh, my friend Perry Grossman, who is the lead litigator for the New York Civil Liberties Union. Perry, welcome to Zoom with Zarni and our podcast here. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm the senior staff attorney in the Voting Rights Project at the New York Civil Liberties Union. And so uh, I spend all my time thinking about voting. And it is, uh, it is great to have uh, someone like you who is so invested in seeing our elections work well in New York. You know, we're, we're starting at a real deficit. We've got a long history of, of laws that really restrict access to the franchise. But I also feel like we're making a lot of progress in the last couple of years with better election administration and, and better legislation to uh, expand um, political participation. And, and you're at the forefront of it. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be working with you. And yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of people think of New York as this liberal state, this blue state that is, uh, um, you know, uh, always seen as this uh, bastion of Democrats and, 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 you know, going back uh, for years and years and years. But in reality, New York has some of the most um, arduous, uh, you, know, you know, voting uh, laws in, in the country. Some of them started off as reforms back in the day, but just haven't been changed in, in this modern society. Uh, some, you know, uh, I think the most notorious of that is the, uh, the party change law that was recently uh, adopted that that was a reform back in the 1800s in the late 1800s early 1900s and it just never got changed for you know 100 years and uh and 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 then it became uh you know obsolete and that finally got changed so uh but i think a lot of the changes because of people like you and activists like you that are uh pushing it on the from the outside uh and through litigation and also, uh, you know, lobbying. So, Perry, what? Where are you from? What, what part of this? Are you from New York? I am. I am. I am. Uh, I'm a fifth generation New Yorker. Uh, I actually am not just a fifth generation New Yorker. I'm a fifth generation Bronxite. Uh, so I live here in the Bronx. My great great grandfather, if you look at his naturalization certificate, lived at 3828 White Plains Road. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm proudly here. Um, my office is, is usually in Manhattan, but you're, you're seeing me at home. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, I, I focus on New York elections, New York voting rights almost exclusively, but sometimes I have cases or issues that have national impact. Um, I, wrote the, I wrote the ACLU's brief in the uh, first partisan gerrymandering case at the Supreme Court. Um, I worked on the other ones. I, I was part of the trial team in uh, in the census case uh, and helped work on that all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, and so frequently we have intersection uh, of national issues here with New York. So um, that sort of gives me the nexus uh, with, with how things are moving generally, 
but I'm, I'm very, very focused on what's going on here and how we make our elections better. So you mentioned gerrymandering, and I, I would be remiss if not to talk about what's going on here in Onondaga County. Um, you know, we are uh, trying to change our reapportionment, uh, our, our, the, the, the way we draw our county ledge districts. Syracuse City uh, changed it last year to a nonpartisan, independent, uh, citizen-led redistricting commission. And uh, we're in the midst of a, a vote right now on July 7th. Uh, there will be a vote in the Onondaga County Legislature to do the same. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons is that people feel like the, the current process has been kind of closed off and, uh, you know, not as uh, uh, open to the public as it could be and maybe not getting the, the districts. What do you see about, uh, you know, Jerry Benning, not necessarily just Onondaga County, but you know, gerrymandering as a whole, and how can we combat this since that is right on the horizon? Yeah, it's a really big problem. Um, and it's even a problem here in New York, in, in, in Onondaga County, but also in, in other counties, right? So gerrymandering, right, the idea that legislature legislatures will draw maps in a way that favors incumbents, usually of one particular party, is a way to take the voters out of the process to make <clears throat> to make our elections much less democratic, to basically allow legislators to pick the voters they want to vote for them. Um, and we've seen some really ironclad successful uh, gerrymanders here in New York State, frankly, all the way up to the state level. Um, the existing state assembly and state senate maps are, are the product of a decades-old um, bipartisan gerrymander, which gave overwhelming control of the assembly to Democrats and, and grossly disproportionate control of the Senate to Republicans. Um, that broke finally in 2018, but um, you know, we've, we've got a bad history of it here. So looking at, um, at the state level, you know, we're gonna have an independent commission and we'll see how that goes. But at the county level, you know, we still have that process where legislators are drawing their own districts and so I'm certainly paying a lot of attention right now um, to how counties um, are going to be drawing their own legislative lines and whether uh, the New York State Constitution is going to step in and, and prevent legislators um, from taking the voters out of the process, from, from discriminating on the basis of political viewpoint, uh, sometimes discriminating on the basis of race. Uh, and so we're, we're paying close attention to, to how those district lines are being drawn. And I also just want to take a second to applaud the city of Syracuse for being, for being a model. Uh, moving to that independent, nonpartisan redistricting really is, is, is a great development. I'd like to see a lot of other um, cities in New York State and around the country follow suit. Yeah, I, the, the city is looking to adopt the Austin model, which is kind of like the gold standard there. And um, they passed the charter change last year and we're on track to start working on the enabling legislation in March, but then the Rona hit, COVID hit and closed everything down. So they're looking at like July. I mean, there's no political, um, you know, uh, there's no political machinations behind that. It was just COVID and they wanted to have an open process. They didn't want to pass it under the cover at night. So they, they're, they're going to be having hearings in July. But now, um, after, you know, there was a, 
a hearing coming up in July, on July 7th for the Onondaga County to pass a similar uh, charter change. And uh, I, that's led by uh, legislator Chris Ryan and the Fair Map CNY group. Um, there's been a lot of work around that. I mean, we've had 15 of the 17 sitting county legislators signed the Fair Maps pledge last year while they were running for office. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually follow through with that vote. That would be great. It, it would be great to see them, you know, again, letting, letting the voters rather than the legislature, uh, legislators take control of democracy here. So, uh, Perry, you've been involved with a lot of different uh, cases, but I've been watching your uh, school district case out in East, uh, Ram uh, East I'm sorry, East Ram Rampart, I, can't, I always say it wrong. What is it? Okay. It's, East it's, it's the East Ramapo Central School District. Always say, I'm always saying Arapahoe. No, it's East Ramapo Central School District. And that is an interesting case because you took on this school district in a long multi-year battle uh, where they were providing um, at-large seats for their entire school district. And the NYCLU came in and said that that, uh, you know, well, you, you explained it. So why, why did you take them to court? Sure. So in, in East Ramapo, uh, like most New York school districts, you have an at-large method of electing the Board of Education. There are nine members of the Board of Education there. Um, in East Ramapo, you've got really, really deep segregation, racial segregation in the schools, racial segregation in the neighborhoods. The, uh, the public schools there are 96% uh, students of color. The private schools uh, are 99% white. Um, the neighborhoods are, are pretty segregated out. And minority voters were really unable to elect their candidates of choice. Um, we'd seen sort of defunding of the public schools over the years because those majority voters are able to keep um, you know, their, their preferred board members on, to keep in check any other board members, um, and to vote down the budgets whenever they felt like it. So um, you know, we, we sued there, our, the, our client was the Spring Valley branch of the NAACP and some Black and, and Latinx voters. Um, and we took on a school district that had really made a lot of effort to disenfranchise and, and, and really marginalize um, minorities who make up the bulk of the public school population from any sort of real say in how the district's resources or policy got made. And uh, you know, we discovered a lot of really uh, interesting things in the course of the litigation. And, the school district, again, because it was largely run by people who sent their kids to private school, um, had no problem bringing in a big, expensive Washington law firm to run up millions and millions of dollars of bills fighting us because it doesn't affect their kids' education. So, um, you know, what we found out is the, 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 the white community there had a really closed and exclusive candidate slating process where there were a couple of leaders who were picking uh, school board candidates every year, and those candidates would not campaign at all. They could churn out the votes for them just by going to um, certain exclusive white institutions. Um, and, you know, we, we saw them also went, go out of their way to find minority candidates who would be safe minority candidates, ones who would reliably not rock the boat, but, but stand as sort of racial shields uh, to prevent them not horribly successfully from accusations of racism. Um, 
And we were able to sort of debunk the idea that just by having white people elect a few minority candidates, that that's enough to deprive minority voters of, of uh, influence over the political process. So that case, you know, took two and a half years from complaint through trial. And we finally got a judgment on May 26th uh, that their method of election violates the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we're working on a remedy now. They're trying to appeal it in the Second Circuit because they would rather spend millions of dollars fighting us than just give minorities an opportunity to elect their candidates of choice. The thing to know about East Ramapo is there are certain features that make it a little bit unusual, but it's actually indicative of what goes on in a lot of school districts in New York State. We do see a decent amount of educational segregation where we've got white kids going to one set of schools, minority kids going to another set of schools. We see minority polarization in, in the electorate. Um, and we see a real lack of access to the political process. So I, I hope as you're watching this and as, and as the viewers are watching this, they'll take a few seconds to consider what their own school district elections look like um, because we really do see this on a, on a statewide um, on a statewide basis. Yeah, and, and school elections just got finished here. You know, uh, they're starting to tally up the votes. Uh, we saw uh, for the suburban elections, they have their votes uh, with June 9th, all mail voting. And there are articles all throughout the state about how much the increase in voting happened on these school district levels when they went to mail-in voting. Sometimes 100, 400% in some school districts that I saw in Onondaga County. Um, you know, and so the, the suburban school districts that have their uh, elections in May, um, you know, those are some of the lowest turnout elections that ever been devised. And, and I think uh, seeing this different way of holding their elections is kind of a, um, maybe even a, a foreshadowing to where New York will eventually end up being. Um, uh, or partially being, it, 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 it maybe would have a chance to reach some of these uh, these areas that are not reached before, you know, through the traditional May voting one day for nine hours, literally little publicized and just be done with it. Yeah, the school district elections are an enormous problem in New York State. Having, you know, substantially only in-person voting on the third Tuesday in May, with different polling places than you vote in for the, the you know elections run by the county board of elections. School districts rarely know how to provide the right amount of language assistance. And so you see, and, and this is by the way, the single most expensive and important function of local government. How do we educate our children? And so to see elections that have 2%, 5%, you know, on really good years, 10% turnout, um, for these critical elections is, is really unfortunate. Scale that back a little bit. We reduced the number of people it's on them. Good to see um, turnout coming up with these all male elections, but we've also seen uh, school districts have a real problem scaling up to meet the challenge. And all things equal, to be perfectly honest, I would rather see professional election administrators running these elections. Okay, well, now this is a fantastic uh, opportunity here with, with Yusuf and his daughter. But um, but anyway, the point is, I think there's a real need for election consolidation uh, with school districts, with village elections, um, so that we're not making voters go through five, six election days in a year in some instances, um, and to make sure that professional election administrators who know what voters need uh, to be able to participate um, 
you know, are treating those elections with the same importance as, you know, state and federal elections. You know, and uh, just to wrap up a little bit on the school districts, and I'm glad you brought that up because we don't run. The boards of, county boards of elections don't run these school district elections, and we get a lot of calls about them. And, you know, we had one school district misspell their own name on their ballot this time around. We had uh, another school district um, misplace a comma and have a $96,000 budget instead of a $96 million budget on their uh, ballot. So there's some real question about this. And, and part of the problem is, is that, you know, pushing into June 9th, we usually help out the school districts a lot more than we could help out this time because they use our machines, we, we proof their ballots for them, and that just did not happen this time around. But I've often felt like I, you know, my colleagues across the state probably will get mad at me when I say this, but I would rather run the elections. I, I would rather run all the elections, not because I'm some megalomaniac, but because I know I have um, a, uh, uh, or, or a masochist, but, uh, well, I may be that, uh, but I know I have a professional staff that, uh, you know, will focus in on it and not necessarily make no mistakes. No human staff makes no mistakes, but they'll make less. And, 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 and at the end of the day, I think there will be more uh, assurity in the outcome if there's, you know, again, it's much like with uh, redistricting, you don't want the people that have the vested interest to be t in totally control, whether it's drawing the districts or counting the votes. And, and here, you know, with villages and with, um, uh, and with school districts, we give them their control over their own elections, and we don't give that control to other places for good reason. And uh, so I would love to see some changes in, that, in the calendar, changes in who runs those elections to be able to help them out. It would be great. So, um, Yousef uh, Abdul Qadir is here. Uh, Yousef, I would like to welcome you on to the Zoom with Zarni. Yousef is the local head of uh, the uh, ACLU and uh, works with Perry uh, a lot. Uh, Yousef, uh, welcome. You, uh, you brought your beautiful daughter onto the podcast here with us. So, uh, how are you doing today? Thank you. She brought herself. She's very independent. <laughs> Um, that she would sit on my lap as she often does right when I'm going to join the meeting. Uh, I want to apologize for being late. I'm really sorry. I just, I've had so many meetings apparently back to back to back. And so I, I deeply apologize for being late. Oh, no. um, I want to just say how excited I am that Perry's on this call. Um, because one thing that connects Perry and I, besides the fact that he lives in the Bronx and I'm a Bronx boy, um, is that I actually went to middle school and high school in East Ramapo School District. Um, so this is personal for me. Um, that, that part of my narrative about my life is that my mom, when I was 10 years old, um, said that she wanted me to live with my oldest brother in Rockland County in Spring Valley, New York, so that I could have opportunities to have an education. I'm only the director here because my mom asked my brother and my brother said yes. And what that meant was I was able to go to Spring Valley High School. What that meant was that I was on the swim team and I had AP classes. I was able to take Syracuse University classes. I was able to have extracurricular activities. I was in concert band, I was in jazz band. You know, I learned Spanish and literally every job I've ever had is because I've known Spanish. And we were one of the last iterations of classes that had all those privileges and all those opportunities. 
And every subsequent year, that changed because of what Perry is talking about with respect to the way with which the school board was taken over and then resources extracted. And so that case has real life implications and ironically, a personal implication because I wouldn't be in Syracuse, but not for the fact that I had those opportunities. And this is the real life effect of the work that we're doing. This is why voting matters. This is why these issues count. This is why this is not theoretical. This is not haphazard. This is not just a few folks getting together to sit and chat. There's real world implications of these decisions and I'm living proof of it. Uh, and so thank you to Perry and to our colleagues across the state that were part of that, to the people who elevated this issue and continue to fight for this. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I centered that in this conversation as a real life example um, that demonstrates the power of what happens when a system goes wrong and what promise can be given and what promise can be taken as a result of that. It's amazing. Um, That's great. Oh, it, I, it's, it's, I didn't even know that. <laughs> can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah. Um, and so I want to I wanna talk about what this means in Syracuse and what this means in Onondaga County. Please, um, yes. The work here is really important. As you know, we have, um, have had over the last several years some changes to the county legislature that has kind of given uh, uh, you know, a supermajority um, to, to that, that has taken away a supermajority of the Republican and the county legislature. The way with which the maps are drawn um, facilitate for, despite the fact that there's a significant number of registered Democrats, the way that that's expressed across the county means that um, there's a less likelihood that the county legislature composition is going to look in a way that is more equitable from a race perspective. Um, and because we live in such a hyper-segregated community, we're the ninth most segregated county in the country with the most segregated school boards within a county in the state of New York, the ability to get any robust change on those issues are impeded by the fact that we don't really have an opportunity uh, to mitigate that. We don't really have an opportunity to remedy that by voting. Um, and so these are the significant issues with that. You know, we talked about um, the consensus report for government consolidation. And they wanted to consolidate every level of government with the exception of schools, which was crazy, right? Like, you know, we have all this segregation and there are these resources that are not being equitably distributed. And, but we're not going to make sure that we, that we integrate schools or that we have revenue sharing among schools or that we have a transportation system that's centralized for schools. And why this relates to voting is because the way with which the districts are set up and designed facilitate for these outcomes. You know, if you think about the way with which voter turnout exists in city of Syracuse, particularly in low income communities, marginalized communities, um, we're seeing an increasing number of voter turnout we're seeing numbers of people engaging in ways that are different and we as an organization engage voters and you know we don't do um you know we don't tell people to vote for it's against our principles as an organization but we have become more engaged in um voter education and voter engagement as a kind of tool and as well as kind of working with organizations like the national action network and NAACP, the league of women voters and others to talk about helping to register, um, uh, you know, parolees um, so that they can be able to vote. 
there's so much miseducation that exists and is involved that the impediments that are put in front of people to be able to address the issues they care deeply about are there. And so we've got to do a number of things here in Onondaga County and in the city of Syracuse. And I'm hopeful that we can begin to rethink about how are our electoral districts drawn and facilitate to maintain these divisions in our county? Why is it drawn in such a way that it's not equitable in that we're not able to get the kind of representation on the county legislature to help address some of these issues? We want to address segregation, but we don't have the votes to address it. And that's baked in the way with which our district's lines are drawn and in the way that they're gerrymandered. And so there's some things that we can do, but it's really incumbent upon us to begin to do a robust voter education campaign around some of these electoral issues. Yeah, and that, we talked a little bit about the, the effort in Onondaga County before you got on um, and, um, and, and Legislature Ryan's effort to, to, become, to form a citizen-led independent nonpartisan uh, district and how that is uh, coming up for a vote on uh, July 7th. Um, and but, but you know, and we'll go back to that too. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the city of Syracuse school district, and um, you know maybe some of the you know ramifications that uh, the East Ramapo uh, uh, case has on that, because we also in the city of Syracuse have seven at-large uh, um, committee or school district members. And there has been, and even among those members, there has been a wish to, to go to more of a district-based uh, school district uh, for years. I mean, I remember talking about it, uh, you know, 15 years ago when we were talking about the inadequacies of Fowler High School and, uh, you know, and, and how they couldn't, I mean, yeah, they have a beautiful new field now, but for years they didn't have an athletic field or, and it was, wasn't being paid attention to and that, uh, sanitation backups were happening in that school district, whereas other parts of the city school districts weren't um, being addressed. And uh, it, yet there are, um, you know, prohibitions in place in, in, in state education law that won't allow us to do um, district races because uh, we are too large of a city, which to me, that means that we should have districts more, you know, it seems backwards to me. So, you know, you know what I'm talking about there, do you, Perry or, or, or Yusuf? Or, yeah, anything I, that... Perry's the legal expert. Let me talk about the advocacy work as well as the kind of effects of some of these challenges that you speak of. Um, you know, a few years ago, we had a superintendent, Sharon Contreras, who, um, whether you like her or not, is not really the, the point of what I'm raising. What I'm trying to raise is she did a lot of work to address the decades amount of school prison pipeline work that have been happening. We had a graduation rate under 50%. We had, you know, civil rights violations. And she and advocates went together um, to go to the New York Attorney General's office and say, we're violating students' civil rights by not providing them the education and the way with which our suspension rates are working. The school board, which was largely white at the time, um, not reflective of the diversity of the district, um, because of the pressure from outside forces, didn't want to renew her contract and inevitably, um, you know, she left the district. You know, for years, and school boards have tremendous power, power to appoint uh, people to the Joint Construction School Board, power to determine contracts, power to determine which schools get funding and which schools don't. And some of these inequities 
you can see directly related to the types of schools that receive support from the school board, the types of contractors that receive contracts, and they often didn't reflect the racial balance that exists in the community. We have a district that's very racially diverse, but a board that wasn't. And so I'll let Perry talk to some of the legal issues around at-large voting, um, both from the perspective of uh, East Ramapo and how that can interact or correspond and affect Syracuse. But I, I just, I'm deeply concerned with the way with which, you know, we haven't been able to effectuate as much change in policy and practice because of our kind of at-large setup in Syracuse. So to pick, to pick that up, right? So what, what an at-large system does, um, especially when you have racially polarized voting, is it gives the opportunity for a cohesive majority vote to, to hold control of an entire school board, right? Or um, if you have an at-large for a city council or anything like that, it, it always allows the majority to win every single seat. And um, even in the absence of racially polarized voting, at-large elections can be problematic because it forces candidates to campaign over the entire area. Um, it's harder to, to focus on uh, important localized issues. And the bigger the jurisdiction, the more a, an at-large system is going to keep out people who aren't as wealthy, aren't as well-funded, um, don't necessarily have the uh, infrastructure to go and, and um, campaign citywide. And under any circumstances, it's always going to have candidates focused on the most likely voters, uh, the voters who can control an election, rather than focusing on the populations uh, that maybe most need representation. And so when you localize elections with districts, and I'm not saying that districts are a great solution for every jurisdiction, but for very large jurisdictions, and the city of Syracuse is a big jurisdiction, um, you know, it makes sense to localize elections so that uh, board members are able to pay attention to the needs of each individual um, you know, area and, and bring those concerns and remain fully accountable to those voters. So what, what is standing in the way? Do you, um, what, what needs to change to allow larger jurisdictions like a city of Syracuse? We know that the, the smaller suburban school districts could do it by a vote. Or they, could, they, could, they could do it with an action of their school board. They no, they can't. No. Can't. Uh, oh, so, educate me. Yeah, let me help you here. So right now, I, I believe the city of Buffalo is the only school district in New York State that has any seats elected by district. And, and that, and I think Buffalo still has a certain number of at-large seats too. The, the law should be changed to allow, you know, school boards um, and, 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 or, or the education department, whoever, to implement ward voting um, where appropriate. And there are gonna be smaller places where ranked choice voting might be a, a good solution Cumulative voting might be a good solution, but for very big cities, um, you know, ward voting is really going to be uh, the way to go. So they would there would have to be state legislation to enable cities the size of Syracuse uh, or larger to enact like a fully districted system. Um, but in the interim, you know, the one thing I I, I I can certainly applaud Syracuse for is that there's diversity on the school board. 
which I think is, is, is critical. There are plenty of places where you've got really substantial minority student populations. Uh, my dog is making an appearance here. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and no minority school board members. Sometimes you have, you know, minor, you know a large minority student population and you don't even have minority candidates, right? Um, and I'm not saying that minority candidates or minority school board members are the gold standard and that they are somehow necessarily representative of minority communities, but it is, it is a good sort of heuristic to see whether there's an ability to influence the political process. So it seems like in Syracuse, there is at least some ability to influence the political process by the minority community, but award system might be effective at ensuring that, you know, every locality has, has real input into the decision-making process and accountability. Actually, yeah. if you're looking for a city for a test case on that, Utica is a better one. They just, uh, their, their uh, school system is overwhelmingly non-white and every single me uh, member of the school board is uh, a white person. And uh, they just, because uh, um, I just saw so you said it's an actions website, they're, they're looking into this and they're saying that they're gonna probably have to go forward with a lawsuit, so. so as the NYCLU. Well, I could put you. Do you want me to have you uh, have the organizer get a hold of you? Just so? uh, we know each other. We all we, we know we know Christina, and I mean yeah. the reason why I mentioned Utica, I don't know. I might I might have been on mute. I mentioned Utica because of that very point that you raised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she and it, you know, it's something that's like, and I've been trying to engage around this. Like, look, because I'd like to have my members run because I think that's a good entry for them into the electoral process. Um, so, especially since I have a lot of single moms as members out there, so uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in. in uh, so 1199 would be interested in, in um, put some resources behind that TV. Those of you who are maybe listening online, it's that's Mark Spadafore, the Greater Syracuse Labor Council in 1199, uh, a great activist here in Syracuse uh, and, and around the state. Um, we've been speaking with Perry Grossman and, and Yusuf Abdul Qadir of the NYCLU and the local ACLU ch chapters. Uh, and uh, so, um, you know, we're going to just circle back again to the Onondaga County redistricting effort. Um, and, you know, Yusef, you brought that up. What are you doing with that? Are you, how are you uh, um, engaging in that? Or are you just watching and seeing how it plays out and then maybe uh, uh, figuring out ways to help in the end? Because you, you were talking about the, the racial and, and, and uh, you know, makeup of the, the county legislature and the ability to, uh, Field the candidates there. What do you what what is uh what do you think NYCLU's role or uh, what what should others be doing as well? Yeah, you know, I think as a there are two ways I want to answer this question. I think first that the NYCLU is an organization that thinks about civil liberties and civil rights, um, and because we are the ACLU of New York, I think oftentimes people um, look to us as an organization to provide guidance and support. Um, but often don't want us to parachute in because there are people on the ground who are leading this work. And so I, I try to be supportive in ways that people think are best and where there are clearly problematic issues that are glaringly absurd, then we in escalate our involvement accordingly. And so I've been observing, I've kind of just been in conversation, looking at conversations I do though um, especially this July 7th meeting. Um, I do think that I'm gonna try to participate 
and think through um, how to do more work um, to the extent that community members want us to do so. Um, and, and I think a part of why I feel that we have a role to play is that, you know, without trying to dominate the discourse and conversation, when we speak, people listen. Um, and I, I want to use our voice to help amplify the voices of the people in the community that are calling on these changes to happen. Um, I do think that it's not just about redistricting, it's about redistricting right. And it's not just about having a third party do it, it's about having the right dynamics. And I think sometimes we, we don't think critically, this is my academic putting the hat on, we don't think critically about what the problem is before we've already talked about what the solution should be. And we need to be really clear and understanding what are the systemic issues that facilitate for these inequities that we're trying to identify a solution for before we jump to say redistricting will just be the solution. Of course, there's a problem with how the districts are set up, but there may be more types of solutions that we haven't thought of or more creative opportunities that could exist that we're not engaged in. And so I try to be steeped in the research and take the lead from folks on the ground, but as well as the experts like Perry and others. And I'd be interested in hearing what, what Perry has to say about this. So from, from my perspective, and I don't have the, the on the ground knowledge that, that any of you do about the redistricting process, but my concern is always about transparency, right? Can, when, when redistricting work is done in the daylight with community input, where the, the maps are, are, are shown uh, to the public, um, when all political stakeholders, right? When not just the majority rams a map through, but when everyone's allowed to have input, um, you know, that's, that's a healthy process. Um, you know, as long as we're not, as long as we're having a, a, a um, the legislature do it as opposed to uh, an independent commission. I think an independent commission is obviously always the way to go. But when we're dealing here with the county itself, um, you know, the transparency is really what I'm focused on more than anything else. So, Mark, you just posted in the chat, um, the Greater Syracuse Labor Council has taken a, uh, a, uh, um, a, a position on this. Yeah, well, we passed a resolution I posted in the chat um, uh, last night, and it's been, it was mailed, it was emailed out to every legislator today with a cover letter stating that we'd like to see this passed. So, um, you know, so we're, we're, we're trying to take a, uh, a strong stance on it, which is an easy stance for us since we endorsed the city version last year. So, um, so it, was, it, was it was really easy to get that done and to send it out. I mean, I, you know, uh, hopefully the effect will be that people will take notice of it and, um, and hopefully they will, uh, 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 you know, they'll turn around and support this. Now, I don't know if any Republicans will take it seriously because, you know, I mean, obviously you'll have the, the six Democrats, you know, the, the, the challenge is going to be those other 11 Republicans. So, um, and, you know, we don't really have the quote unquote friendly Republicans, you know, that would listen to a labor argument, you know, uh, anymore on the other side. So, but I mean, at least, at least we put our, our it's, a, it's another group that's putting their flag in the sand saying that we need to do this. Well, I think I think everybody appreciates everybody's uh, perspective on that. I mean, I think uh, you know I, I I choose to be an optimist. I want to see the, them honor their, their pledges. So we're going to give them every opportunity on July seventh to do that. Um, 
But, uh, you know, also, I, I, I do think this is the politics side, though. I think what's overshadowing this, though, is the energy tax. I think yeah. that's really taken a lot of oxygen out of the room at the moment. It has. Uh, and of course, Corona has as well. I mean, just, uh, you know, it's really hard to be doing voting rights work and voting advocacy work uh, in this climate where public meetings aren't happening. And, uh, uh, you know, even boards of elections are, you know, semi-open yet trying to run an election. And actually, it kind of leads into something that I was going to ask you, Perry, about. I mean, how how are you you're at home doing your office work right now and how are you monitoring all the uh, you know all the boards all everything that's going on across the state right now and what are you seeing yeah it's it's not easy right i mean uh, especially with the new york city board of elections where they have commissioners meetings every tuesday which i actually think is a great practice that every board of elections should get behind right it's it's good to see um you know, meetings happening in public. I know of counties where there hasn't been a public meeting of the commissioners in a long time. And that, that becomes an opportunity to really hold uh, some feet to the fire and, and, you know, be able to speak publicly about issues and, and get responses from the commissioners themselves. Um, you know, how do I stay engaged? I make a lot of phone calls. Um, you know, I keep abreast of, of the news stories um, and I, I I do my best to keep my ear to the ground with with both the you know, the activists, the advocates, the commissioners, um, you know everybody I can I can get information from. And what and what I'm seeing is a lot of problems. To be perfectly honest, um, to leave aside school district elections, which, which we've spent a lot of time on, um, you know, right now I'm deeply concerned about a few things. First and foremost is voter registration. Due to the coronavirus, in large part, but certainly due to some very restrictive New York State laws. We have seen voter registration absolutely crater over the last three months. Statewide, I think we're down over 20% versus uh, uh, 2016 when we should be up because this is such a high interest election. And in New York City, we're down over 50% where we should be. So that's well over 100,000 new registrations that we should have that we don't have. Um, that's a real problem. And then in terms of the elections happening right now, oh, I'm sorry. Let me also say for, for registration, the voter registration cutoff is a huge problem. We have a 25-day voter registration cutoff. So you've got to be registered 25 days before an election to cast a ballot. So the cutoff for the June 23rd election was May 29th. If you were out in the streets marching on June 1st and said, you know what? It's important that I register and vote right now because I believe in police accountability. I believe in racial justice. I believe in all of these critical issues that we are, we are finally engaging with. Um, you're not voting in the June election. You're too late. And that's a real problem. Um, we have 19 states that, have, uh, that let people register and vote on the same day. And to have a 25-day cutoff uh, is preposterous in this day and age. So we're working to change that. Um, the other problem we're seeing, and, and hopefully it's not one that you're seeing too much of in Onondaga County, is that people are not necessarily getting their absentee ballots in a timely way. Um, I will tell you right now, I personally applied for an absentee ballot a very long time ago. Uh, I haven't received it. And then I was told by my board of elections that it was mailed out on May 29th. Well, if they're counting that as, a, as, a, as an absentee ballot that they've already sent out, that disturbs me. Too many people that I, I know anecdotally haven't gotten their, their, um, 
their absentee ballots yet. So that's something I'm very concerned about. The other thing I'm concerned about is, um, you know, we got, we managed to get the postmark date moved from the day before election day to election day, which is great and makes sense. If we want people voting by mail, we should give them as much time as people who vote in person to cast their ballots and make those decisions. The problem is we've heard of post offices that are not necessarily putting cancellation marks on envelopes that have prepaid postage on them. Um, of course, prepaid postage is an excellent idea. Nobody should have to take a penny out of their pocket in order to pay for a vote. But at the same time, a voter is not following their mail into the mailbox to find out whether it gets a postmark or not. So if a board of elections is receiving uh, an, uh, an absentee ballot without a postmark after election day, there's real doubt about whether it's gonna be accepted. Um, so that's another thing we're concerned about. And I'd say the last big thing that we're very concerned about is New York traditionally over the last several election cycles has a very high rate of rejecting absentee ballots. And that's not good when 5% of your population is voting by absentee ballot. When 60 to 70% of your population is voting by absentee ballot, New York cannot keep having an absentee ballot rejection rate in the five to 10% range. Throw, I mean, that's, that's a level that, that, that swings elections. Um, so we've got to have a notice and cure process in place so that voters who make a mistake on their ballot, maybe forget to sign it or date it. By the way, remember to sign and date your, your affidavit on your absentee ballot, that's really important. Um, that those voters can get a call and fix any mistakes so that their votes get counted. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of the, the postal issues too. I mean, right now, it doesn't matter whether the postmark is on it because if we get the absentee ballots right now, they're, they're being accepted. But I am worried about what happens on June 24th. Um, and uh, because uh, we've seen that issue at boards of elections for years uh, is something that our bipartisan organization has uh, asked to have addressed um, and by moving the postmark date to election day, which would solve some of it. Um, and, and it did, you know, that's been done for 2020 anyways, with the recent legislation, but it, it is, you know, the, uh, Going by a postmark as opposed to by a received by date, um, you know, is something that is, uh, you know, problematic because of the new changes with the postmarks with forever stamps where they don't want to, you know, put posted marks over the forever stamps and now the prepaid postage, it, it, it becomes an issue. Um, and I think it needs uh, a 21st century solution as opposed to, you know, the old solution. So. Um, I, I know, Yusef, you got to get going. You have a class. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we're getting near the end, but do you have anything else you'd like to, to talk? Or? No, I just want to say thank you for having me. You know, it's great to, to do this with Perry. I think he's an awesome both litigator and, and, and friend. I'm happy to call him a friend, um, not just because he lives in the Bronx, but <laughs> also because he lives in the Bronx. Um, and I just, I want to- And this stuff goes so deep, doesn't it? I mean, I tell you, go, it never stops. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, right, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I want to just say to the people in, in Syracuse and Utica and, and across Central New York that, um, you know, your vote matters. Um, vote early, vote often. 
Um, Not and, often. <laughs> well, I like often. After elections. Um, make it a habit. Make, make voting a habit. There you go. Thank you. That, that's probably the better way to say it. Habituate your, your voting. Um, and I just, I think it's really important that um, we don't allow the moments that we're in to make people feel that their vote, their vote doesn't matter. If there's ever a moment when your vote matters, now is the time, right? And so what we've seen with the massive amount of protests um, and the massive amount of kind of on the ground mobilization of people is that people who are elected have the pressure under their butts to say, we gotta do something. And we have to sustain that. And one way to do that is to make sure that we vote so that we can keep people held to the fire. You know, sometimes we don't realize that they work for us. We get this idea that like that we work for them. And we, in this experiment of governance, have given our individual power to them to be able to govern and to be able to, to, to moderate and regulate and create the rules that will help us to have the kind of lives that we think that we should have. Um, and so you have a tremendous amount of power. Um, and you know, oftentimes it's said that, well, my vote doesn't matter, um, but there were several thousand votes that made the difference between why we had the current incumbent president and why we don't, or why we wouldn't do. And so I think it's really incumbent upon us to think about the responsibility we have. And, and that is not just about voting, it's also election day and what happens after. Um, I'm so empowered, especially by the young people who are there and who are doing the work and who are engaged, you're inspiring. Um, I hope that we turn out because we can radically change this. Um, and and I, I'm not, I don't believe in optimism, I believe in hope. Um, and I'm very hopeful because my ancestors um, have continued to hope in order for me to be where I am today uh, and for us to be where we are today. And so I'm supremely hopeful that we're able to continue moving forward. And I thank you all for being a part of this discussion. Thank you for having me, Dustin, and continue the conversation. Thank you, Yusef. Uh, looking forward to more conversations with you in the future and working with you on uh, so many different projects here in New York and Syracuse. Perry, um, if you got five extra minutes, I I'd love to talk about five minutes for you dustin all right <laughs> i'd like to talk to you about the new york voting rights act something that you've uh, authored and uh are, you know started pushing i testified on his behalf in march uh, in the pre-covid days uh remember those uh yeah. but uh um and uh you know give me some opportunity to to talk about this because i think it's a possibly a, a, the next great piece of legislation that we can do in New York uh, when it comes to voting rights. So what yeah. was your thinking on this? I, I really I really hope so. So, you know, there's, we've got a lot of structural problems when it comes to our elections. And a lot of them bear on issues of, you know, things that we're really seeing in the streets today about uh, disparate, um, disparate opportunities available to people of, of racial and ethnic groups to participate and influence in the political process. Um, you know, and also like a tremendous, a tremendous difficulty in intervening in productive ways to make our, our political processes more open, more equal, more available, um, and also just to improve practices generally. Um, um, <laughs> 
the, the, the hound the hound dog very much wants to intervene so i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna let her hound this dogs matter um and she she is my 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 boss um <laughs> so let's put it this way not not much i can do about this so okay so so the new york voting rights act has a number of very important components to it, right? The first thing is um, it puts a judicial construction in the law that says, we're gonna make sure that we're always reading um, New York election law in a way that favors the voter, that favors the right to vote and make sure that votes get counted. And then we've got a cause of action in there to prevent vote dilution and vote suppression that's stronger than what's available in federal law and what's stronger than what's available in other state voting rights act there aren't many other state voting rights act and they're not as comprehensive as what we've put together here um, you know so it's an opportunity to make our elections uh fairer and, and, and more equal um you know not just the systems that we use whether it's at large or districted systems but also um you know the availability of polling places election materials all these all these things uh, that you really need to be a functional participant in the political process. Another really important thing is data. We have a really fragmented system of, of election data in New York State. If you want to get um, a comprehensive look at what school district elections look like in New York State or what village elections look like, you've got to go send foils to, you know, maybe 1600 different villages and school districts in order to get that all together, right? The boards of elections are actually pretty good and that you only have to go to 62, uh, sorry, 58. Um, but we'd like to see that demographic data, that voting data consolidated in a, in a single office uh, supervised by SUNY that gives good nonpartisan looks to, to how we collect data, to make it available to districts, to do better uh, polling place location, better redistricting, um, to better evaluate how our election systems are moving. And then, you know, there's, there's uh, provisions to expand language assistance so that we're making sure that language minority citizens are as able to participate in, as anybody else. Um, and then one of the big ticket items is what's called preclearance. And if you've ever heard about the Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act, it's because preclearance was made inoperable in 2013 in the case called Shelby County. And it would take that system, which applied to three counties in New York State, as well as the former Confederacy and some other states that have uh, real issues with minority voting rights, like Arizona and Alaska, where uh, native voting rights are a big deal. Um, and it would take that and apply that to the entire state so that rather than putting the burden on the voter to find bad election practices, we are putting the burden on the jurisdiction to make sure that they're putting forward good election practices and good systems. Um, so hopefully it changes the way we do business and, and makes our elections stronger and fairer. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great piece of legislation. I would love, uh, you know, I continue to, to um, advocate for it. Uh, it probably won't get done this session, but hopefully we can um, work on it for next session, make it even better legislation over the summer. And, you know, I would love some structure in there about you know, uh, how, you know, boards of elections who, 
which I actually think, obviously, I'm a, I'm a part of it, but I also believe that the the bipartisan nature of our New York boards of elections are good in many ways, but there's no real way to resolve uh, conflicts in those boards without, you know, just sitting in a room and figuring it out and uh, having a, you know, third parties that could uh, provide guidance uh, could be something that would be beneficial, I think, um, especially where uh, a conflict might exist over, you know, truly, uh, unmarriageable, uh, you know, differences. And, uh, you know, you, you, and you don't necessarily want to wait for the slow acting uh, and expensive, you know, s Supreme Court or, or something like that to do it. So, yeah, and I, the thing that, I, that, that worries me is it puts too much of a thumb on the scale on the side of, of no, right? So if one commissioner has a good idea and the other commissioner wants the status quo, the status quo is going to win, right? If there's a process to resolve those disputes efficiently, then hopefully the result is two com commissioners with competing ideas, you know, striving for better all the time, rather than, you know, one pushing for better and one demanding the status quo. Um, so that's, that's my hope. I, I, I certainly see what you're talking about there. Um, I hope it is a thing we can incorporate in the law. No, it's great. And, and well, you know, I hope to have you back again sometime, Perry, uh, you know, maybe uh, in the fall and we'll see how things are going or maybe, uh, you know, right before the next legislative session. So uh, we can talk about what we're hoping for in 2021. But I know you've got a lot of great work uh, ahead of you here in 2020. So thank you very much for coming on board and, uh, and chatting with us. And, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it, again, this is going to air later tonight on Spotify and tomorrow on Facebook. So I, I, you know, I remind those that are watching to participate in the June 23rd election. If you haven't gone to our website in Onondaga County, go to onvote.net. You can uh, get your absentee application, although it's past the deadline. We will endeavor to get that out to you uh, so you can postmark it on the 23rd, or you can drop it off at a polling place, early voting, or election day. Early voting continues till Sunday. And of course, election day, and we've already seen record-breaking turnout for this election. So I hope to continue to make it a very busy turnout. And also remember, we probably won't see results or at least definitive results until well into July, around July 7th, 8th, before winners are going to be declared because of the massive amounts of absentees. So Perry, thank you very much for coming again. Mark, thanks for uh, joining us as always. And, uh, I, I, and, and I just say one thing to Perry. Oh yeah, absolutely. Monroe County Board of Elections, there is a lot of problems. And because of the very contentious nature of the, uh, the, the split in the Democratic Party there, some people are thinking that there, there's a lot of politics going on there now. So I would keep an eye on Monroe County. I will do so, thank you. Yeah. Yep. And of course, always eerie because eerie is eerie. So, yeah, yeah. There, there, there. I am hoping that they're going to be working that out shortly um, because you need a commissioner, and they've been with well, an well, acting but, commissioner. But you know what happened there, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and it's it's a complete mess. It's uh, it's it's really it's unfortunate, really, because here it is: the Democrats finally get a county executive, and they just basically cut the legs out from underneath them. So, you know, it's unfortunate using the Board of Elections, so. Well, I hope, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, they, they, they resolve that.
you know, I actually, uh, I'm a supporter of Lashonda Bowes. I think she's a, a fine commissioner. I think she, she's been a good deputy for a while there. Um, you know, she's a member of my caucus and I, I think she's, you know, going to be a great commissioner there. I like her. I, I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm just saying, well, oh, I know. we're involved in a lot of primaries out there and we're getting annoyed, or at least I'm getting annoyed. So, well, um, anytime you have, um, you know, such a, like a, an un, you know, it, it, it's, you know, somebody's trying to deal with one of the most, more complicated primaries we've ever dealt with in New York and also fighting for their job at the same time and not having a pathway forward. I, I, I feel bad for her and I, I really hope, I would love to see her, um, you know, I, I, I endorsed her. I think she's a, she's a great commissioner, but whoever they choose, whoever goes forward, they need to have, um, you know, there's a lot of things that they, that every board has to deal with nowadays. And uh, they're, um, I think they're gonna, um, you know, they're gonna have to resolve that situation pretty soon. But, all right, well, thank you very much, everyone. And, uh, uh, and uh, good to see all of you, stay safe. And, uh, um, and uh, we'll join back next week. We're gonna have uh, Susan Lerner of Common Cause on. We'll be talking about her work on the Onondaga County. Well, I got, yeah, I got Susan Lerner next week and then uh, Jeff Weiss of the uh, National State Committee, uh, 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 or the National Com Council for State Legislatures. He's the co-chair of their redistricting on, on July 2nd. Jennifer Wilson of the New York League of Women Voters on, on July 9th. And then she's I'm great. Gonna start. She's fantastic. I, I yes. love her. She's, she's great. Good. And and then after that, the primary will hopefully be resolved. And I'll start into my candidate series in Onondaga County talking to all the candidates because then we'll be by the primary and we can talk to all the Democratic candidates and uh, see how we can help uh, push them over uh, the uh, winner's line in the fall. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. And see you next week.